Hey, chiropractors, we're ready for another modern chiropractic marketing show with Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing strategies, content marketing, direct response marketing, and business development with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I've got another episode of the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show. Today, I've got an interview with Kevin Meisenheimer of Progressive Practice Sales. If you recall, earlier, I should say at the end of 2018 in December, I had an episode with his wife, Crystal, and they together run Progressive Practice Sales. If you didn't listen to that episode, I highly recommend it. It was a great episode. We've got a part two this time with Kevin, and we're going to dive into uh, basically the ins and outs of of buying a practice and is it makes sense for you? Why should you buy a practice versus starting your own? Some of the things to look out for, things that walk away if you see, you know, like just we really dive into all of the information you would want to know when potentially buying a practice or even setting up your own practice with the end in mind and having an exit strategy. So we we dive into that and it's a, it's a really great episode. Brought a lot of good information. Frankly, I'll probably have one of them on again. I think this conversation needs to be happen, happening more often, and I and I think it's something that serves not only the the buyer, the seller, the owner, the associate, but it really helps the profession because buying a practice can really jumpstart your career. And obviously, down the road, when you go to sell a practice, you want to make sure you have everything lined up. And prepared optimally. Okay. So before we dive into that, I got a couple things I want to discuss. We do have a CSA retreat coming up in December. That's the Palm Beach retreat. You can find that link at it's a bit.ly link, bit.ly at CSA Palm Beach retreat. We're going to have a great time there. It's got Jeff Langmay, John Morrison, myself, Bobby Maybe. We're going to dive into small groups. We're going to have really actionable workshop type of uh, information. We're going to have quite a few chiropractors there, but no more than 40. We're going to have basically what we found in Portland when we did it, which was a huge huge success, was not only did the chiropractors that came to it got a lot of information out of the presenters, but also just getting into the small groups, kind of like I do when I go to strategic coach four times a year, getting into small groups of like-minded individuals and other people going through the same stuff and bouncing around ideas. And we're going to have it in December, December 14th and 15th in Palm Beach, nice and warm. So if you're in the colder climates, this is going to be great for you. We've got uh, activities planned for Saturday night, beach day on Sunday, learning. Uh, Saturday morning, we'll actually be learning at the beach and then we'll have relaxing beach day to that. So check that out. And then also, I want you to look into the uh, virtual summit that I am actually collaborating with the Motion Palpation Institute. So it's an MPI virtual summit where it's going to be free. It's a one-day summit. It'll be three clinical presentations and then three business and marketing presentations. And we've got everybody from Mark King to Corey Campbell, myself, Brett Winchester. We're going to be providing as much content as we can to really help you grow. And again, this is going to be free. And and the link for that is uh, going to be bit.ly.mpi virtual summit. So that's uh, MPI virtual summit. That's that bit.ly slash 
MPI Virtual Summit. Uh, check that out. Um, it's going to be, you'll have access, you, you, you basically be able to watch it from your computer, your, your laptop, your computer, your smartphone, your iPad, whichever one you want to. And it's going to be a virtual summit. I've done a couple of these in the past that were a huge success. This is the first one I'm collaborating on, which I'm excited for. And that's going to be on October 24th. So for right now, I want you to mark that in your calendar, go to the link and register. And then you'll get that email that morning that the videos are out and it'll be dripped to you that particular day. And you'll get to learn quite a bit of information. I've been fortunate enough to see the videos so far and they're just, uh, they bring a lot of value. This is high value information to help you grow your practice. So check that out. And without further ado, here is my interview with Kevin Meisenheimer of Progressive Practice Sales. All right. I got another Kevin on the line. I appreciate uh, his his time today. We had his wife, Crystal, on the, episode, on the podcast not that long ago talking about practice sales and, and buying and things of that nature. And today we're going to dive deeper into it. So before we do, Kevin, introduce yourself and your company and let's go from there. I'm Kevin Meisenheimer. I am the uh, founder and CEO, I guess co-founder with my wife, Crystal, Progressive Practice Sales. Perfect. So when did you guys get started? Uh, we started in 2015. Uh, we were taking a sabbatical and moved over to Hawaii for a year after selling three practices of our own mm-hmm. um, using multiple brokers. And we really felt that you know we could do a better job of, than what was out there in the marketplace. And it was really a, a perfect uh, marriage of our two skill sets. And so, you know, we love it. I actually don't feel like I work anymore. I feel like I just talk to docs all day. So That's not bad. I do that a lot too, but still treating patients. I need to get out of it. <laughs> uh-huh. No, just kidding. So you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're more on the, on the buying side of things. Is that correct? We help buyers buy practices and we help sellers with their exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, I know, sometimes- I know you, your company does both, but you personally, are you more on the buying side? No, I, I help. Actually, my fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. is always to the seller. Okay, perfect. I'm glad we got that and squared away. As a company, though, we do offer lots and lots of support for buyers because most of them have no idea how to buy a practice. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to it and there's a lot of confusion. Uh, and, and that's what I'm always excited to have this, t- this uh, conversation because I think it's important too, even for the young docs that are maybe just starting their practice, you always want to begin with the end in mind. And so you want to start the process of having a sellable practice from the get-go, right? Absolutely. And I can, I can give people advice on you know, what a sellable practice is and, and what not to do because some people get to the end of their career only to find out they maybe don't have a whole lot to sell and, and uh, bank on as part of their retirement. Do you work with uh, docs that necessarily aren't looking to sell yet, but want to prepare for that down the road? Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of conversations early in the process. It's a, it's a long sales cycle in general. And, um, you know, I think the best thing that somebody can do is to have the conversation early. Uh, You know, we're signing up people today that I may have spoken to initially two years ago. Sometimes you might need to do some things to get your practice mm-hmm. ready to sell so you can maximize the value. 
That makes sense. Perfect. I've got a few questions that I, I wrote out. Sometimes, sometimes I, I do this podcast selfishly so I can get some good answers and things like that. But, uh, you know, why should someone buy a practice versus starting from scratch? Well, starting from scratch, in, in my opinion, and anybody that's been in practice for 20 years would, would know, but, you know, starting from scratch nowadays seems harder than ever before. So, you know, students are graduating with student loans in excess of 250000 And, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, because we get a lot of failed practices where someone sunk 100000 or 150000 into opening the doors on a place and didn't quite make it. Yeah. And so if you're looking at a growing city or suburb and you, you need a nice build out, you need a nice website, you need updated EHR, digital x-ray, those kind of things. A lot of times, by the time somebody gets the doors open on a place like that, they, they're they already over the $100,000 mark. Yeah. And, and that startup capital is a lot harder capital to get versus if you buy a practice you need about 10% down. So if you look at the math, uh, 10% down, you know, a little over 30,000 on a $300,000 practice. If somebody were to purchase that with an SBA loan with one of our banks, they're gonna probably have close to 200,000 of a net profit as soon as they take over. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the other scenario, they've spent 100, maybe 150, they have zero patients in the door. Then they've got to burn through more capital for marketing and until they finally break even. A lot of sleepless nights till you finally start turning a profit and eventually down the road start making a professional income. And that is really a, a much tougher road to hoe, as they say. That makes sense. And so what should they be doing if they are thinking of buying a practice? You know, I think if you're younger or in any case, I think you should look at lots and lots of practice profiles. I know a lot of docs, I know it was true for me when I graduated, I had never actually seen the profit and loss statements from a chiropractic practice. I, you know, I knew what people made or what their gross collections were, but, but I had never really seen what the overhead was like, what the payroll was like. And so one of the steps I would say is look at a lot of our practice profiles. They tend to be really thorough. They tend to be over 40 pages long. So you can see three years of profit and loss. You can see what the value of the equipment is. You can see what the cash flow is and what people are paying their staff. And if you look at a lot of profiles, you know, 10, 20, 30 practice profiles, you have a really good idea what you want and what you don't want, and what's a good deal and what is not a good deal as far as a practice. Perfect. And you help out docs with that? Yeah. You know, if anybody reaches out to us and they see a clinic they like, you know, they can fill out a non-disclosure agreement and we'll send them as many practice profiles as we'd like. And so a lot of docs I'll talk to five or 10 times before they actually pick the practice that they want to buy. Gotcha. And, you know, they'll, they'll become educated in a hurry on what's a good deal and what is not a good deal in the marketplace. And there are, 
Another reason I would say to look at purchasing versus starting from scratch, there are a lot of really motivated sellers out there and there's some great deals relative to the cash flow that you'll generate. Yeah. So you, you'll actually take a doc who's looking to buy but doesn't know where and what practice to buy, but you can match it up with some sellers that are looking to sell the practice and, and make it kind of a, a match. Yeah, I play matchmaker you know, all day long for a living and I'll get to know a doctor's skill set, techniques they're trained in, you know, geographically where they're willing to look in the country, where they really want to live in the country and give them advice that way. And a lot of times there's something in someone's backyard that is a really good deal that I think they ought to look at when they have been struggling to come up with the cash to move their family across the country and get licensed in a different state. Those are really, you know, difficult things to do. So where, uh, where are some areas that buyers should consider looking for a practice? Is there any areas in particular that are better than others? You know, I think that it's really obvious that, you know, some cities and suburbs are really, really growing. So Mm -hmm. Texas has a great economy, Florida, the Mid-Atlantic is really hot for us. People seem to be in mass kind of moving from California into lower tax states. Yep. So I look for, for growth rate and job opportunities in an area. So if you look at like a Dallas or a Charlotte or Austin, Texas or Atlanta, those are places I would really look. Mm-hmm. And the other place that a lot of docs should consider that they don't is if you can look into a smaller town where someone's been in practice for over 20 years and they're the largest competitor in an area, you can often make some really good cash flow in an area where you don't have to do marketing, you don't have to do spinal screenings every weekend to make it, and you've got 30 or 40 new ones just coming in the door just because of that practice's position in the marketplace. Okay. So as, as people retire from those smaller towns, someone can go in and pay off their student loans in a hurry, which I think should be really at the top of everybody's mind given okay. the current environment. So how about like, uh, depending on the state's health insurance reimbursement situation, like for right now, Florida is pretty terrible as far as what Blue Cross, Aetna, Cigna, I'll pay about $40, $45 a visit now where it used to be. When I started practicing in 05, it was a lot better. Aetna's like in the 50s. So do you take that into consideration or do you just assume that insurance is going to suck <laughs> in the near future anyway and you don't want to base it off of that? Yeah, I, I do think the the insurance environment is deteriorating in a lot of states. I think there are some outliers. Mm-hmm. Alaska is very good for insurance. Yeah. Indiana is incredible. Like mm-hmm. doctors get paid similar to the Mercedes eighties oh. there where they just get paid for what they do. So there, there are some States that are good. And then depending on the practice model that someone likes, mm-hmm. personal injury is really good in Florida in, in some States like Florida, yeah. uh, Florida, Maryland, Texas, Washington. So, you know, people should consider the practice style that they like. Mm-hmm. And then The other thing that someone should consider is really becoming a cash practice in an upscale enclave where people can afford to pay for your care. 
that's kind of where I'm at. I'm in Boca Raton, Florida. So I'm out of network with everything now, except for Aetna. And, but it's an affluent area and they can afford my cash rates, which is on the higher end of things. And it, and it makes it nice. I probably couldn't pull off what I do in certain other uh, towns or cities. So. For sure. I, I, what we see is, you know, talking with hundreds of doctors, there, there's haves and have nots. And, you know, some doctors have amazing cash practices. And if somebody, you know, wants to go that route, if they, if they find an upscale enclave or suburb, they can, they can do really well and avoid the insurance headaches altogether. But you do have to be in an area where people can afford your care if you're going to yep. do that model. Definitely, definitely. So, you know, what's the difference between buying a practice from a broker uh, versus, you know, just for, for sale by owner type of listing? You know, one of the biggest ones is if you have a for sale by owner situation, you're, you're going to walk into, especially if the doctor is a little older, mm-hmm. you're going to walk into a situation where the data is not going to be that clear. So you're, you're not going to have a big 40 page prospectus with three years of profit and loss really clearly spelled out and all the ad backs and personal things highlighted. So it's actually kind of hard to purchase from an individual. And a lot of people come to, to us after trying to buy a practice from somebody and they really wanted to buy that practice. So we have a, what's called a facilitator package where if we have a willing buyer uh-huh. and a willing seller, we help them build a practice profile because it's very difficult to buy from an individual without the prospectus because you won't, where you'll run into a big roadblock is trying to actually get the financing for that practice. Everything needs to be really clearly spelled out uh-huh. in a way that the bank would accept it and qualify the young buyer for a loan for that practice. Perfect. And then what are the, the steps to buying a practice? You know, the basic skeleton of that, what would that look like? You know, I think first you're going you're gonna to meet the doctor uh, usually after hours on the first visit. You're going you're gonna to check out the space. You're going to check out the equipment. You're going to see if your personalities and practice styles and philosophies and all that kind of matches up. Uh, once you have decided that a practice is right for you, you're going to make an initial offer and that is in the form of a letter of intent, which is a non-binding offer. When we work with people, we provide a template for that, but the basics of it are the offer for the price, then you'll negotiate the accounts receivable separately. Mm -hmm. There will be the desired timeline for closing the sale, the desired transition, uh, closing date, th- those will all be on the letter of intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the letter of intent is um, kind of fully negotiated and both parties agree, then that gets submitted to the bank and that can start the process of getting funding for the practice. And then in our case, we draft a practice sale agreement for both parties. Okay, perfect. And then how long does, does the acquisition process usually take in that scenario? Yeah, once you have a sign a letter of intent signed by both parties, it's typically three months to get an SBA loan. And that's you know probably 95% of the practices that we sell go through an SBA loan process through one of our banks. 
can be done faster if everyone really jumps through the hoops yeah. and yeah. does their paperwork in a timely manner. But most doctors are busy, both buyers and sellers. So yeah. three months on average. All right. Perfect. Perfect. And then um, are practices worth more if they have the real estate attached to it? Is it worth the extra investment? They, you know, they are much more attractive in the marketplace. And, you know, one of the things that I never got to do was own my own building. But I, I think that most people, if you look at the math, would agree the best investment a chiropractor can make would be to own their own building instead of paying rent for 15, 20 years and throwing that money down the drain. And, you know, I have some buddies in Austin, Texas that that built their own building back in the early 2000s and their buildings are probably worth over a million now. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, that's my goal. I, I purchased my office space uh, in 2013 at the low end of Boca at the time because it was still coming off the uh, 2008 stuff and got it got it really low. And it's been it's only been six years and it's gone up quite a bit. And I'm hoping you know in the next 20 years it just keeps going, right? Yeah, that is the best long term investment. And you know the other thing that I would point out in in smaller towns, smaller markets. A lot of times it's pretty affordable to get a building. You can get a, a building for three or 400000 sometimes less. And, you know, the name of the game too, besides getting people well, is, is building wealth over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, just as an example, uh, Dr. Cheney, who's actually um, our current uh, business analyst, rock star business analyst, he was in a small town in Kansas and paid off his house, paid off a couple of buildings, <laughs> mm -hmm. and retired early from chiropractic. So, yeah. so that's something I would point people to as that's well, great. especially yeah. with where student loans are today. You know, the numbers just don't, don't add up to uh, work as an associate or buy a really small practice or start from scratch in my opinion in most cases doesn't make sense and I think I've seen a little bit and I, I don't want to generalize too much but uh, out of my audience I'm seeing a lot of chiropractors that are starting their practices inside of gyms or inside of crossfits or you know small things like that where the it's, there's zero cost to do it but then there's not a lot of margin either and a and if they're not careful they get stuck in that situation for the long term and there's really not a, uh, in a lot of scenarios they're limited to the amount of revenue and profit they can make from it and they don't graduate from that and so i do want docs to be wary of that as well and in a lot of cases you know it worked for me like that's actually what i did it worked for me different type of setup different type of environment than most but i think it's a struggle that people are running into so uh, you, you got to get into a like a nice office at some point you know you got to have uh, I, I think that's something that that i would point out to people too is you you really want to begin with the end in mind and, and yeah. some kind of exit strategy and yeah. and so the ones that are really hard to sell shared spaces are really really hard to sell so if there's two or three docs that decide to share space and share an x-ray room and share staff you know, even if that doctor is netting or taking home 200000 a year, when they go to try to sell that practice, they're not going to get the full value. They're not going to sell that practice for 300000 Yeah, yeah. So we have trouble selling those, and we have quite
quite a few in, in the gyms, as you said. And a lot of times we're just finding very few takers to actually buy that practice in the gym. Yep. And the one thing to point out with that is you don't actually, as a seller in that scenario, you don't actually own the goodwill. <laughs> See, mm-hmm. You don't own the space. So you're basically selling off patient files and equipment at that point. And whereas if you were in your own practice with your own space, with your own equipment, you're going to be able to sell that for a much higher multiple. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get stuck with those when they try to exit. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm not shocked by that. What are some of the warning signs that should, that should make you walk away from a practice if you're in the process of you know, thinking you're going to buy it? What are some of the, the warning signs? I think if, if you have someone trying to sell you a practice and they cannot accurately represent to you what the cash flow is, what the take-home pay you would be enjoying as a buyer, Mm-hmm. that would be red flags. And a lot of people that try to do it on their own, which, you know, I have these calls every single week, but a lot of people will have a number in their head. I want 400,000 for my practice, but they really are not able to fully represent to you in a clear manner what the actual cash flow would be mm-hmm. to support that, that asking price. Yeah. I would also shy away from practices that have decrease year over year for the last three years straight. Okay. Um, those are hard, hard to turn around. Yeah. How about if, uh, you know, I think I've seen people run into a problem where the practice style was not congruent with how they practice and they, you know, buy something that they had end up having to do a 180 on. Do you see that happening? Is that a red flag? Yeah. You know, I, well, I play matchmaker every day and I try and talk people out of, those scenarios, it almost never works out. You know, for example, somebody is looking at a successful upper cervical clinic and they're not an upper cervical guy. It's just not in their blood. And they're like, I think I would like to learn Mm -hmm. this technique and take over this practice. Those are risky situations in my, my opinion. Uh, You want to find some things I would recommend is find somebody that would be a really good mentor Mm -hmm. that already shares your personal philosophy of chiropractic the practices how you always envisioned yourself practicing i also would assume that it would be a benefit if you're buying the practice you already are an associate at maybe right like if you're buying it from the doc that's uh, there and you're there and you're treating the patients and they know you uh, that's probably a little bit of a safer bet yeah that those are really good and um you know if you're ever an associate doc and you have a successful uh, boss, I would be, I would be putting it in his ear to say, Hey, are you going to sell this place mm-hmm. at one point? I would let the, the doc, the head doc know that you're very interested in buying at some point yep. because that is a really good way to buy. You're not going to have the worry of attrition. You understand the, the systems in place. You're not going to worry about losing patience in that scenario. How about like, uh, do you ever broker partnerships, like getting someone into a partnership, uh, buying into it, things of that nature? Yeah, we do. We have um, the facilitator package I mentioned earlier. A lot of times, you know, someone will practice for 30 years and then they will sell to their associates and as a kind of a partnership buyout. So we, we help people with that and, you know, other types of contracts as well. We also have people buying their way out of a partnership 
-hmm. and we give people advice on on those as well. I wish I would have known you uh, years ago when I bought out of a I bought out of a partnership. <laughs> it worked out well for me, but it was a real pain in the ass. You know, we we help people in a way we can help both parties understand what the value of the partnership is. Yeah, and based on mainly one of the main considerations is what a bank would loan somebody on that practice. So if it's worth $150,000 to sell that partnership, we'll be able to show them that once we have all the data mm -hmm. and show if they were going to sell their partnership to another potential partner, you know, what it was worth. Makes sense. All right. Last question. What not to do when buying a practice? What are some things you're seeing that's just uh, absolute pitfalls? Oh. Man, it's a loaded think, question. <laughs> but, you know, rule number one is, you know, a lot of young buyers are millennials and rule number one is dress up, dress professionally, no matter if you think you're going to buy this practice or not. And you're, you know, looking at 10 other practices, like dress up, dress the part for each one. And, you know, I've got some funny stories where someone showed up and they were looking at a practice that, you know, netted 500 a year and they really wanted it. And they showed up and, you know, holy jeans and an untucked t-shirt. And, um, you know, I have a story where a guy was going to have a doc shadow him in the morning. And then he was going to, it was Friday. They were going to take the afternoon off. He's going to show him the whole town. And this guy shows up in holy jeans <laughs> and, um, shadows for a little bit and then he gets shown the door <laughs> ah <laughs> and um he really wanted that practice and um didn't get it and then so that very same buyer uh the next practice he looked at is like look wear a tie mm -hmm. act professional show up be professional and impress the seller the buyers have to realize that it is a two-way vetting process so they're kind of being interviewed with you know, being a good prospect to take over somebody's patient base mm -hmm. and take care of their patients and staff that they have grown very close to over the last two or three decades. Yep. So be professional. Uh, rule number two is don't ever lowball a practice. A lot of people are um, under the misconception that the best way to get a good deal is to throw in a lowball offer first with hopes of landing somewhere in the middle. And so people lose practices that they wanted all the time because the initial lowball offer kind of killed the goodwill they had with the seller. And so then they never get the practice that they actually wanted. So be professional in your negotiations. Mm -hmm. um, anything that that we would put out there, we know that is worth very, very close to the asking price. And, you know, there, there is some give and take in negotiations, but you want to have a really good reason also for offering lower than the asking price and highlight what those specific concerns are. Don't just throw out a low ball offer. I see a lot of people losing deals by doing that right out of the gate. So you you do help docs with the negotiation process and coming up with maybe a good counter offer and things of that nature. Yeah, we you know we really guide both parties and and if there's a seller and there are legitimate concerns about their practice, for example, if the X-ray and the EHR 
and some of the equipment needs to be updated. Those are legitimate concerns why someone might want a discount, why you're not going to get top dollar for that particular practice. So what we do all day long is kind of guide people to a win-win transaction where all both right. buyer and seller are happy at yeah. the end. One thing I wanted to ask, and I and this is a marketing and business podcast, so I like to ask some marketing things. Like for my practice, we put together a very, very well developed marketing strategy year on you know end, and I've got records of it. I I've got an email list. I know exactly how many people, followers on Facebook, all the different things. A really distinct marketing strategy. Does that help the the seller? Uh, as far as the sellability of a practice when you can say, hey, look, this is what we've been doing for the last five years and this is what it looks like and this is the email list and this is all that. Does that help? It, it really does. I mean, I think it's, you know, when it comes to selling your practice, it's all about the goodwill that mm -hmm. you've created in the community and it's about the unique selling propositions of selling the actual opportunity. So if someone has marketing that's working and has been working for years in the community, that's a huge selling point that makes it a much less personality-driven oh, yeah. practice. And so kind of back to advice for buyers is I would look for a practice to buy that has those systems in place, you know, marketing that's working, and new patients coming in the door outside of the doctor giving talks and health screenings and things like that. You want to buy systems and cash flow in my opinion. Yeah, it's like I know we we we're anywhere from 8 to 15 new patients from Google alone and that's something that's just kind of automatic and it's just because we create a lot of content, we've got a lot of reviews like all that type of stuff working behind the scenes to generate those new patients which really wouldn't change if I wasn't here. Yeah, that's extremely valuable. I, I would say yeah. the more streams of new patients you have coming into the office would not only make you have a, a healthier practice, but as an exit strategy, when you're speaking to buyers, that will make them less apprehensive about buying your practice. So professional relationships, mm -hmm. the other marketing that you mentioned, other things that are working outside of referrals, because everybody's got a referral-driven practice. Yeah. But the the sellers that have a lot of sources of new patients have a much easier time when it comes time to sell their practice. Perfect. That makes sense. Uh, any last uh, pieces of advice for our audience regarding this uh, really important topic that I think a lot of times flies under the radar? Man, I, you know, I would say for both buyers and sellers, start the process early. We're talking to lots of docs while they're still in school about what they should do when they graduate. And, you know, the name of the game as a buyer is find out what kind of down payment money you're going to have access to. A lot of buyers really need to know that you can borrow the down payment money from family. And yep. you need to find out if you can get 10%, then you can start look at practices in your price range. So if you might be able to pull together 30, you can get a $300,000 practice. You can pull together 50 you can look in that $500,000 range. And then for sellers, you know, don't wait until you blow your shoulder or have a heart issue or something like that before you start thinking about selling your practice. A lot of people say, Kevin, I wish I would have called you two years ago. Uh -huh. And they, you know, they call and, you know, something's going on with their health or other issues and they need to sell in a hurry. 
and they're going to really lose out on the value that they could have had if they just planned a little earlier. Perfect. That makes sense. Well, you know, I really appreciate your your time and great information today. Uh, how can, can our audience find you if they have any questions or want to touch base with you on this topic? You can reach me at Kevin at ProgressivePracticeSales.com. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes and I'll put the website in the show notes and, and everything there. So I appreciate your time today. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. Please be sure to check our redesigned website at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Stay up to date with our blog where content is regularly added by Kevin and guest contributors. You can also access our library of podcast episodes there. Go to www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com and subscribe to the podcast today. This is the podcastfactory.com.